turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, it can be found on page 1096 of your pew Bibles. We will be reading verses 1 through 11. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Lord God, as we have turned now towards your holy word, we pray that we would be mindful of it, that we'd be attentive to it, that you would focus our minds, our hearts on the reading and the preaching, that you would preserve and bless it, that it would be true, that Christ would be seen, that it would be applied to our lives, and that we would grow closer to you in growing more knowledgeable of you, but that we would as well grow closer to you through seeing you in your word through setting our gaze on you, and we pray that today we would especially see in you our Lord Jesus, one who is the wise man, who knows the law, who keeps it, and knows it perfectly, who is the one who shows true authority and sovereignty, the true interpretation of the law, as well as the one who fulfills it in love and compassion, even contrasted against those who, so much alike to us, sin against you who see in rather your law-keeping what was wrong. And we pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would strike us with the truth of your word. Amen. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, He said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This ends the reading of God's word. People of God, what we see in this text is that the wisdom of Jesus defends against all accusation. The wisdom of Jesus defends against all accusation, and we also see that the love of Jesus fulfills all of the law. He proves himself here to be the incarnation of wisdom itself, and he answers the Pharisees' questions showing that he knows how to apply the law, that he knows what is right and true, and that they do not. He also shows in his fulfillment, and the Pharisees are sort of a a foil here, a representative of the opposite, of the negation of what Jesus is. He shows law-keeping in love and fulfills the law and the, the, the summary of the law in love. 
where we see the Pharisees fail here so miserably. The Pharisees were hypocrites who placed too much weight on certain law matters or what they interpreted them as and ignored the weightier matters of the law. Elsewhere, they are said to be those who will strain out a gnat and yet swallow a camel. That there will be those to, to miss the camel before them, this large creature, and rather focus on, on their food and their little ceremonies and strain out this little gnat. That they will nitpick a certain thing. That they will focus on these matters and place all the importance there and completely miss to fulfill the law of love or compassion. They call themselves the lawyers, the understanders of God's law, the, the true righteous ones to keep it. And yet you see, you see displayed here in these texts such hard hearts, hearts that don't care, hearts that instead seek to find someone at fault in Jesus. In Jesus' response to his critics, Jesus reveals the purpose of the Sabbath he reveals his authority over it and how to lovingly keep it. And what he shows here is that he's not interested in law-keeping that lacks wisdom. He's not interested in law-keeping that ignores his authority. He's not interested in law-keeping that neglects love. And I'm going to jump ahead just to the, the end portion of this text to prove that point. We'll, we'll come back to it, but I want us to see how, when Jesus is going to heal the man on the Sabbath, notice he stares them down as they are wanting him to, to break the Sabbath. What does Jesus do? He, he calls the man in front of him, knowing what he's going to do, knowing what's in their hearts, and before he heals them, he looks them all in the eye. Shows that he does not have, he does not care, he does not tolerate a loveless keeping of the law. He does not tolerate those who would not understand that he is the Son of Man that he has the authority. He will not tolerate a legalistic self-righteousness. We see that here, and we see that in our first point. Jesus shows his wisdom versus those who lack wisdom. Jesus shows his wisdom versus those who lack wisdom. And this, this occurs in this controversy of the Sabbath. You see, it might not come to the fore if you just read it, but this is a, a, a whole debate of wisdom. This is a controversy of law-keeping. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is understanding the law and especially how to apply it. The law, what we read earlier in the, the fourth commandment, provides a principle, a general principle, that's supposed to be taken and applied to life. And it takes a wise man to be able to see the law, the ins and outs of it, and apply it and keep it. And that's what Jesus is doing. So this really is a question of wisdom. Who understands the law first and foremost? And then the outcome of wisdom, the goal of wisdom, is in action. So who's also keeping the law as it's meant? See, Jesus shows his wisdom versus those who have none, those who lack it. Wisdom is that law in shoe leather taking the principle and bringing it down to this earth, to the concrete, to the tangible. How do you take that principle and live it out in the situation God calls you to face? And that happens to every one of us. And in fact, that's actually something that we can rejoice in because what God does is he gives us the principles of his laws and then he puts us in situations where we are called to apply it and that we're called to, to show even a mastery and an understanding of the true intent of the law. 
how we fulfill the law right. Now, we also know through our time in Proverbs that wisdom doesn't come to us through just our own work. It's a gift of God. But God places his people in these types of situations. We see Jesus in a situation here where he and his disciples, and it's just his disciples who are mentioned doing something that the Pharisees say is unlawful. They're saying they are misapplying the law. They're not keeping it. And rather, what they're showing is that their wisdom or lack of wisdom makes the law quite static, with no ability to adapt, even so strict as to miss the greater intent of the law. That's the controversy going on here. It's about the Sabbath and whether Jesus and his disciples are breaking it. And as, as has been the case in this section, we see that tension against Jesus continue to grow. The Pharisees are continuing in each of these stories that we're going through to add more, to add more against him, to seek more against him. And Jesus, throughout it all, has been responding. He's been responding in these ways that highlight not only what true law-keeping is, but who his authority is. That he's the authority. That's what they miss. And in fact, their legalism, reducing God's law to a set of rules and regulations, and even an interpretation of that and further laws that God never gave, That they're making that into such a goal of their religion that they actually miss the incarnation of God in front of them. And properly then we could say they are not wise, they are showing themselves to be the fool. What about this controversy? Let's look at it. Do the Pharisees have a case to be made against Jesus and his disciples? It's a law question. It's like a courtroom that hears the charge. The Sabbath is very important in the Old Testament and very important to the Pharisees, or at least in a rule form. It was actually the Sabbath and its lack of fulfillment that was given often for the cause of the exile, for the reason that Israel was expelled from the land. Well, one of the reasons most often, or or I should say generally given, very commonly given, is that they had not kept the Sabbath. They had rejected the Sabbath. They had not rested. They had not worshipped. And so to the Pharisees of the Old Testament, they would see in a violation of the Sabbath a threat against the community itself. They would see for those to break it that they would be in danger of bringing God's wrath on the whole community. They're not necessarily wrong about that. This was an important cause of the exile, but they had become so so enamored with the rules and hedges around the law that they had added so much to God's law. They had added so much to the principle, and they had so many rules and regulations upon which the Sabbath had to be kept, and some of them, in our minds, would be quite ridiculous. But we're not going to fully understand it unless we do see that that they had perhaps a case to be made. Why would I say that? We are familiar with Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. We read from Exodus 20 and the Sabbath this morning already. But there are other places from God's Word that sets up a sort of strictness. To Sabbath keeping. Exodus 35, verse 2 says, Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So there is a call against doing any work, and if one is doing it, it's it's death. It's also one that you shouldn't kindle a fire. We see in Numbers 15:32 and following an example. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. 
And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now when we would read that, would we say, Now, wait a second. God's law doesn't allow you to, to kindle a fire, to gather sticks. So are the Pharisees way off base? Are they wrong to see the disciples walking through these fields, plucking the grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the kernels? Are they, are they off base to say this? What they would say is that that's, that's reaping and sowing. It's gleaning. It's work. Now, wouldn't it just be that they're trying to be law keepers? They're trying to be very holy. Because it's not commendable what they're doing. And that's where we go, ah, you know what? This is where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is not always the simple matter of reading a text and saying, so there you go. It's wisdom applied to the law, which is applied to life and a certain situation and what's going on. You see, those cases don't actually support the Pharisees' traditions and all that they're saying to do, because what we see in this, even this text from Numbers, was when there was willful disobedience. When there was a complete rejection of God's law. When it was purposefully done with no desire to keep God's law, and the situation didn't warrant it. It was negligence. It was, in fact, it was, in fact, putting yourself before God's law, and the situation didn't require that. Now, that's what was going on in the Old Testament for those who would so violate the law and not care. But is that what's going on here? The Old Testament laws on the Sabbath punished those who dishonored God and willfully disregarded his commands for selfish and unholy reasons. You see, these texts don't support this, nor the rules of the Pharisees. Pharisees had 39 different prohibitions and categories on the Sabbath of what you weren't called, what you couldn't do, what classified labor and work, what could be done, as they sought in their own words to put a hedge around the law. And the reasoning there was, if it's, if it's wrong to do this, let's, let's move that fence just a little bit over, and if, if, we, if we draw the line there, we're in no danger of violating the law. But this type of binding of consciences, this type of legalism doesn't work. Again, you see what it's caused them to do. It's caused them to call God himself a lawbreaker. Clearly, they have not fully grasped it. According to their detailed and specific list, the disciples were reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. As one commentator says, it's a quadruple violation. You look at it, and you're like, oh, they broke it in four ways. That's not good. Look at all the work they're doing. In fact, if you were to read through this list of what was called to do, you would be shocked, numbering one's steps. I mean, steps one could take on the Sabbath. And this one is a very interesting one. How spitting. Be cautious about spitting on the Sabbath. Why is that? It may result in watering a seed and those sowing, and thus sowing and reaping of that seed and make you violate the Sabbath, so be sure not to spit. You might be watering your crops. You see what they had created. You see what can happen. Now this is, this is the application we should take from it. And I give a caution here. Because I think there's two ways in which we could apply this and misapply it. 
I think we might, one, want to take this and on one hand be like, oh, this gives us cause to do whatever we want on the Sabbath, and that's certainly not the case. It's not as if we, we would go here and then say, see, Jesus is saying that there, there is no, there is no um, thing placed on you. There's no incumbents upon you to keep God's law or to follow certain rules in wisdom. That's not what this text is saying. Jesus doesn't argue that way. So we don't misapply it by just obliterating any type of wisdom in and withholding of a certain license on the, on the Sabbath. That's just a day to do whatever. No, we don't go that way, and that could be one way we would fall. But we also should not go the other way, because there is here a clear corrective to how an over-traditionalism that has gone further than the law can cause us to call others sinners when they may not be, and thus show ourselves to be fools as well. So we need to walk in between that. We need to apply it in wisdom and not go to the Pharisees' level where we have raised a certain keeping or interpretation of the, the law itself and then bound everyone's conscience when God's word does not. We have to be clear that we don't do that. We also have to be clear here what Jesus is doing is he's showing that what his disciples are doing here isn't in violation because of a certain principle, certain ideal in Sabbath keeping, and it doesn't just create license for the day to do whatever you would like to do. Jesus would be one to clearly confess to keep the Sabbath, and he was keeping it, and that's the point. He wasn't rejecting Sabbath law, he was rejecting the Pharisees' interpretation and application to him and his disciples. We need to be wise about how we see that. The Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the law of doing what isn't lawful, and Jesus responds. He doesn't engage in a prolonged discussion. You know, we would probably be those who would want to be like, you know, no, you're, you're wrong, and here's why. You see, work means this, and, and here's what's allowable. See, you see, the disciples can take the grain and do this. They can, they can do that in that way. It would be wrong if they would take out a tool and start swinging it. You know, that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't get into these debates on what makes it work or not. Rather, he avoids all of that, and he goes to the fact that in this particular circumstance, he is not breaking, nor is his disciples breaking the Sabbath, because they're following what is of a greater importance, and that is that they need food and they're hungry, and they're not willfully disobeying God's word. They're not doing it out of a disrespect for God's law. This is the situation and circumstance in which they are. They are not engaged in this work. You see, it would be, it would be doubtful even that the Pharisees were correct to call that work. That's a very questionable interpretation, one that we don't need to, to accept that they're right to call it that. But you see what Jesus does. He doesn't start arguing them in that way. He goes to a, an example, an example that illustrates a point. There is, in our law-keeping, in our, as God's people, we have a danger of missing the beauty of it, missing the purpose of it, by becoming like the Pharisees in how we treat it. What do I mean there? Like, look at what the Sabbath has devolved to in Israel's situation in the Pharisees' own application. Don't walk more than these steps, and don't spit, and don't glean. And you better not carry anything unless, you better not close your hand around anything when you're carrying it. You can only carry it like this. All these rules... And what a beautiful day had become, had become a, a very slavish type day. What was the origins of the Sabbath? 
Israel, an enslaved nation, had a new master. And he tells them, you are not to work on this day. I give it to you for rest. I give it to you to be able to put aside your labors and not only just have a, a, a period of rejuvenation physically and mentally, but a time in which you can remember your deliverance from Egypt. A time where you can worship me. It's beautiful. The Sabbath is beautiful. The intent of the Sabbath was always to be that. It was to be good. It was to be used for good. It wasn't to be broken and split apart into this thing that was no longer good. Sinclair Ferguson gives a good illustration of of what this is like. It's like if it's a a golf course that's well manicured, well kept, and you see this beautiful hole, it's cut perfectly, it's green, there's flowers all around it. You can tell, I think... I think the highest point of dominion mandate is the golf course. You know, it's, it's so, so well kept. You've taken dominion of the earth well. That's, that's the way I see it. No, that, you see this beauty. You see this green. That's like the Sabbath. And what the Pharisees have done with it is, in essence, said, stay on the cart path and you can't play on that hole. You can't play this course. You see, it's meant to be traveled. It's meant to be walked. You're meant to stand on the green. You're meant to participate and use it. Otherwise, what's the point of it? And that's the case of the Sabbath as well. And so Jesus answers them with a quote from history and David himself. 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. I'm going to read this text. This is what Jesus is quoting from. This is the example. 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. Here's what had happened there. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. And I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Why does Jesus quote from this? David, in his fleeing from Saul, comes to the tabernacle uh, where it was set up at Nob, comes to Ahimelech, the high priest. And there he is starving. His companions are starving. They They need food. And so he asks to be fed. And the high priest there asks, well, what's your, what's your purpose? What are you doing? He inquires as to why they are here, and then he inquires into their cleanliness. Are, you, are they ceremonially clean? And then what he does without, with, with very little discussion, he gives to them bread that it wasn't lawful for them to eat. You see, this was bad bread that was baked by the Levites. It was for those who were holy. It was for the priest to partake of. It wasn't for the common man. They weren't allowed to have it. By law, they weren't allowed to have it. 
And yet what we see here is that a high priest and David himself, a man after God's own heart, are willing to go against what would perhaps be the letter of the law because of a situation that has changed how to interpret that law because what must be done now is the bread of the presence which wasn't for them is now given to them and it's no violation of God's law for they are on this quest, this mission. David, the Lord's anointed, is there, makes this request, and he's granted it. This is tremendous what Jesus is doing. Why is that? Because what what can the Pharisees say now? To press the matter, now what they would have to be saying is that David, the great David, the anointed one of God, and a prior high priest had done it, had broken what was the letter of the law because of the situation of hunger. Now what? To press it any further, they have to say David and a past high priest were wrong. Which they would be very unwilling to do that. That is how Jesus deftly responds. He's countered it. Wisdom and law-keeping, as seen in David's case, understands that applying the law to life may at times mean a suspension of the letter of the law in cases of mercy, of grace, of need, of love. Jesus is not advocating frivolous work, nor is he advocating law-breaking. He's advocating the true keeping of God's law just like David had done in this time and in this place. Jesus is on a mission from God. Jesus is the anointed of God. Here are his companions with him. They do keep the law. And you see that even in the the quote from 1 Samuel. This was not a willful disobedience of God's law. What did the priests ask? Are they clean? Are your companions with you ceremonially clean? You see, this was showing honor and respect to the law, but also how best to apply it in this situation. It wasn't a disregard. And Jesus and his disciples are not disregarding it. The letter of the law had yielded place to the spirit of the law in an urgent necessity. And by asserting his own claim as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus shows he has the right to interpret the law. And that's what we see in our next point. Jesus shows his authority versus those who have none. This is a very short point. It's that one verse. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And though this is a very short point in time, it doesn't diminish the importance here. This is, in truth, the very center of what this, these, both these stories that we're covering today are about. Jesus' authority. So what he's done is he's answered and showed his wisdom and how he's keeping the law actually, how he's not violating it. But then he he goes to the the, the next step. And what he's doing here is he's wrenching control of interpreting the law from the Pharisees who have misinterpreted it. And he's saying, who is the one to establish and tell you how to keep God's law, how to fulfill the Sabbath? And it's the one who has greater authority than the Sabbath itself. It's the one who is Lord of the Sabbath and even instituted the Sabbath. He's the one to tell us how to keep and interpret it. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He has that great authority. And so against the Pharisees, because you could just hear them, how, how dare you, Jesus, undermine and go against years of rabbinic teaching and tradition? How do you just tell us that this is okay 
when for all of these years we followed this and it's been accepted as what was right? And that's Jesus' answer. I am the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I have the authority to interpret it. I have the right to tell you how to, how to fulfill it. Jesus knows the law's limits, and his remark shows him to be interpreting the force, the intent, the limit of the law. His approach to the law is one we should understand well, and one we should see its respect to the law, but it understands the greatest of principles, mercy and grace and love. That is the fulfillment of the law, is it not? The law was not to be read with absolute rigidity. There were exceptions to it, and we see that. We see that play out in history. We see that at times when Hebrew midwives would lie to Pharaoh and be praised. Those who would keep the law and understand how to apply it, those who are truly followers of Proverbs, which shows you how to apply God's law to so many situations. Jesus, though, is Lord of the Sabbath, and he establishes this this principle and this understanding. This is the second time he's called himself the Son of Man, that messianic title. He shows his authority as he is the Lord. Jesus is the one who reveals true Sabbath-keeping, who reveals the true purpose of the Sabbath, and that's especially seen in in our last point and the next, next narrative of this text, the healing. Jesus shows true Sabbath observance through love versus those who hate. Jesus shows true Sabbath observance through love versus those who hate. Verse 6 gives us another situation. It's another Sabbath. It's in the synagogue. He's teaching, and a man was there with a right hand, and then Luke sets up what's going on here, and you just see the Pharisees. They are just watching him like a hawk. It's almost as if they're quite glad this man is here. And why are they glad? They're hoping that in their own interpretation, Jesus breaks the Sabbath. What kind of a heart is that? True believers, true keeping of God's law, true keeping of the law to love, would desire no one to break God's law. You wouldn't want to try to catch someone and hope, in fact, that they violate God's law so that you can get him. You can accuse him, but that's exactly what they want. To try to ensnare him. And what's interesting is the text says that Jesus knows this. And you see here how he is not this politician. He knows exactly what they're, what they're doing. He knows they're baiting him and what they want him to do, but his keeping of the law through love shows their, their keeping of the law through hate. And he doesn't just do a diplomatic answer. He doesn't just wait to heal. He goes right at them and what they want him to do, and he knows that they're going to accuse him through it. He instead puts this man in a place of prominence, stand here before me, looks all of them in the eye, and then heals him. And then asks, or asked in this narrative, is what's lawful to do on the Sabbath, good or, or evil, good or harm? Isn't it amazing that the Pharisees were keeping the Sabbath by plotting murder in their hearts? But, got to hand them this, at least they weren't healing anyone or rubbing grain in their hands. This is the greatest expression of of sifting out a gnat and swallowing a camel. 
let's keep the Sabbath by, by, in our minds, murdering the Son of Man, hoping he will violate the law, not wanting what's good for him. Let's also not care at all about this man who has this withered hand, this man who is, is in this sense, quite, uh, quite handicapped in that day and age. Let's not care at all about them. Let's just make sure we hold to our principles that for him to heal would be a work. And that's the other thing you have to ask. Jesus to speak a word of healing is a work in their interpretation? How would the Pharisees have understood this? You see, they would, in, in all cases, medical, if there was a, an emergency, if there was death, they would have allowed help to be done. In fact, if an animal of theirs had fallen into a pit, they would take the animal out of the pit in that day. So what's, what's Jesus doing here that's wrong to them? Well, it's because his malady wasn't life-threatening. You see, they would have said, this could wait. This could wait to, to off the Sabbath, just, just delay it, and then heal. And then that, now you're keeping God's law. But Jesus' question, verse 9, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now the obvious, the obvious answer there is, what's lawful on the Sabbath? Well, to do good. Not harm like they're doing right then, even in their thoughts and hearts against Jesus. Even as he's ushering in the true intent of what the Sabbath is. Rest. New creation. He's putting to right what this man and the curse and life and sin had put wrong. He's doing good. To borrow from Ferguson's illustration, he's playing the golf course. He's on the whole. He hasn't taken the Sabbath to, to, to just wrench it free Use these as just these laws and not show acts of love towards others. Is it really wrong to expend energy for the sake of your neighbor to do him good? Of course not. Sabbath was never meant to be a day of complete inactivity in favor of, of what, 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 what would we say, just sitting at home, not doing good? Can they really tell Jesus that on a day of rest, a day that commemorates freedom from enslavement, that he's doing something wrong by reversing that, showing love for this person and helping them? Jesus shows that the law is fulfilled in love. And he's doing that, and he doesn't allow them or their critiques to stop it. And then we see their response. Verse 11. They were filled with fury. They were just blinded by rage. Over what? He healed someone. That's why what, what's really at the center of these texts is, is not necessarily how do we apply the Sabbath. That's present there. It informs it, like I said, where we avoid both errors Clearly there's an application there. But at the center of, of this is Jesus, his authority, and what he's doing, his identity. The Lord of the Sabbath who's coming in and through this ushering in the new creation and the kingdom of God itself. 
healing and doing what is right, doing what is loving for that neighbor, why would he withhold that? Why would he not, on a day that looks forward to a time that is literally the time we take to set our gaze on when all things are made new, why would it be wrong for him to bring the reality of what we're hoping into the present? It's not. The basic issue of the passage is not really the disciples' practice. It's not really whether or not Jesus can heal, but the answer is they can. And the answer is that the disciples weren't wrong. But that's not really the center. It's Jesus' authority. And that's why he had said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. For the purpose of what? Well, do Luke's readers, do Luke's hearers, believe that Jesus is sent by God? Do we, as the continuation of the audience of Luke, see that Jesus is the Son of Man who has this authority? Do we see and now interpret and apply our own law-keeping in light of his authority? Do we see that we are to obey God and to do good, to love? Do we see that even our, now no longer Sabbath, but now our Lord's Day, do we see that even on that day we are called not to do harm, but we can do good? We do keep it in its intent and for its purposes. In response to his critics, Jesus reveals the purpose of the Sabbath, his authority over it, and how to lovingly keep it. Jesus is interested. He's not interested in keeping the law that lacks wisdom, that ignores his authority, and neglects love. People of God, be wise in your law-keeping. Recognize Christ's authority and obey in love. That's the example, the message of this text. Our Savior is Lord of the Sabbath. We see his authority, we see his wisdom, we see his love. And that is how we obey as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and are thankful to see such a profound account of wisdom, wisdom in nuance, wisdom applied to life, to see as well the true purpose and intent of the law, to love neighbor, to do good, We thank you that the Son of Man wrested control, took control of the law from those who had violated it, from those who had set up so much in in contrast and going further than what your law did, to take control back, to, to call forth his own authority, as well as to display what true keeping of your law, what true keeping of the day of rest is. And Lord, we pray that we would, in like ways, respond. Not only that we would submit to the authority of Christ, we would see what he ushers in, but we'd be wise in how we obey and keep the law as well. We pray this in your great name.